This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. Mike, 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 Bump day. Michael Bumpus joins us for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready? Right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! I like whenever we have Bump on because we can squeeze in some basketball talk really quickly. Bump, I saw this last night. You need an intervention. I know you miss Kobe Bryant, but... Russell Westbrook's Mamba mentality is legitimately the worst possible thing for LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers this coming season, dude. Mamba mentality, baby. Hey, I don't, I don't know if it's a good fit, Paul. I'm not gonna lie. You know it's but a bad fit. Come on. I, I'm not. Yeah, it, is it gonna work? Probably not. But I got to take something from it. And Russ, he just plays hard. You're not gonna appreciate that. And if Kobe says. He's got the mentality, then I'm going to ride with that. I need something to believe in, Paul. Don't rain on my parade. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, a, I could see the Westbrook thing working. What? He's just got to he's got to agree to not shoot threes. Like if he could agree to not shoot threes, I could see because he's he's an incredible wing defender. Like he's it, but he's got to buy into that role. Like he can't be he can't even be the number 2 scorer on that team. Yeah, he's got to Driving uh, and dish. That's why Melo's yes. there. Sitting in the corner. Melo shot 41% from three-point last year. Career high. That's why Melo was there. Shoot the three. Westbrook, you get to the paint. Triple doubles all day. Let's go. You're younger than most of the Lakers, Bob. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm perfect. I fit right in. 85. I, I, would, I would like to point out that the idiot of the offseason is Schroeder. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. How much money did he cost himself? Hey man, that's like, cost what was it, were the Lakers offering like $60 million? It was like four years, $60 million guaranteed. <laughs> he takes a one-year deal for what, $4 million? What are you doing? Does he not like LeBron? Something, something's I, going on there. I don't know. That dude's weird. Like that dude's always been weird. It seems like guys don't like him, and he just cost himself he just cost himself $55 million. Playing Tripping. for the best franchise in the history of basketball now, though. So, I mean, obviously he made yeah, the good, right Good luck in Boston. Championship. Question one. The San Francisco 49ers have a question about what they do with their quarterbacks this year. Jimmy Garoppolo has been on the unofficial depth chart listed as quarterback number one. But, of course, Trey Lance is looming, and he's going to get some situational reps this year, Bump. What should San Francisco do at quarterback? Just make a decision. Kyle Shanahan, he's not committing to anybody right now. And he's not saying, okay, it's... It's an open competition. Now he's saying, hey, we might rotate quarterbacks. I don't know what we're going to do. And what does that do to your football team? It just keeps you in limbo. At some point, if I say right now, you just say Jimmy's a guy, we're going with Jimmy. And if Trey beats him out, you beat him out. Here's the thing, too. If you cut Jimmy before week one, you save $25 million. You can go elsewhere and, and kind of get some guys to, to surround Trey Lance. I just think the worst idea they can do is try to rotate two quarterbacks. This is not varsity football on Friday nights where – you just have better athletes on one side of the ball, and you can get it done. This is the NFL. Your team needs to have an identity. And if you commit to rotating quarterbacks, then you're not going to have an identity, and I think you're going to lose your players. 
it did seem, though, like Shanahan had committed to Garoppolo as a first quarterback. It just, at the same time, Bump, with what you're laying out, it does feel like it's getting a little bit more wishy-washy as far as if they're going to stick with that going forward. Maybe coaches just shouldn't make any declarations about their intentions publicly so that we can't have these kind of conversations and this uncertainty isn't hanging in the air. What do you think the locker room's reading into it with what they're hearing out of Kyle Shanahan and what they're seeing from these two guys on the field? Well, if you ask uh, Kyle Shanahan, the locker room's great. Everybody's good. I doubt it. I'm sure a guy like Brandon Ayuk probably wants a younger guy in there. Um it just uncertainty, and that's what you don't want, especially with a, a team that's legit Super Bowl contenders. Their defense is getting healthy. You got weapons on offense. The what's crazy is going to be if Trey Lance starts, and you have a twenty five million dollar backup, and they're not going to get rid of him either because they learned a few years ago you got to have depth at that quarterback position. It just makes it awkward there, man. And now these guys are forced to get in front of the cameras and talk to the media and pretend like they're bought into this. Oh, if we have to rotate quarterbacks, we'll rotate quarterbacks. Nobody wants that. I, Kyle, just make a decision and roll with it, and you can always change your mind. It happens every single day. I just think he's doing more harm than good right now with his uncertainty. I, I agree with you. This is also setting up as the same. It feels the same as when Russ won the starting job in Seattle in 2012. Like, I think there's a chance that at the end of this, if they're starting Jimmy Garoppolo week one, this all this was a mistake. Like, you should have just kept the kid on the back burner and said, we're preparing. Yeah. But I also think they they might have seen enough that they think Trey Lance is going to be the starter and give him a path to win the job. In this case, that would be we'll give him some reps. It was his third preseason game when when Russ kind of came out and put on a show and Flynn had a soggy arm and wasn't able to play that game. I, I think we're seeing a chance. I think there's a chance that Trey Lance comes out of this as a starter. But I agree with you. If this is Garoppolo as the starter, you've just wasted a bunch of time and messed around with a lot of people's confidence. Week three, week four. Lance is the guy. You heard it here, folks. You've, you've been saying it for a while. Yep. I'm interested to see if that happens. Man. Same. Question two. All right, Bump. The NFL is going to emphasize taunting. They're going to be on the lookout. The refs have been told to be on the lookout for taunting. Think about the children. Getting up and flexing. Anything that's done... My question to you is, who is who wants this? Like, who is who thinks that this is a problem? I don't know anybody that's like, I I hate taunting. I don't want to see any more. Like, who? Why are they doing this? Because they have nothing else to do. They're bored. Every year they want to try to change the game and make the game better. You're giving the referees even more power now. They have enough power. They can already affect the games. And this is an emotional sport. Like, these guys are out there risking their lives every single snap. If you don't play this game with emotion, then you're probably going to get smacked anyway. And what? what's taunting? Um, Tyreek Hill running by you and chugging up the deuces? What's wrong with that? I, I mean, what's wrong with that? What, what's taunting? Standing up and flexing after you just got hit? What's wrong with that? And now, okay, this is, this is how you adjust as a player. You do that, but you focus towards your teammates when you do it, right? Instead of looking at your opponent, you look at your teammates when you do all this stuff. But even if they do that, these referees are going to get it wrong. They are going to get it wrong. I promise you they are going to take the fun out of the game. The NFL almost had it right. Celebrations came in, and we're watching the Seahawks celebrate and all this fun in the end zone. And now they're like, you know what? The kids are having too much fun. Reel them back in. Having too much fun. I, I, I just completely disagree with this mission 
you're taking the fun out of the game. Let guys be emotional. There's a limit to it. I understand. You know, there, there's a limit to things. But don't take the fun out the game. You've done a good job so far. The 509 says, liberals want it, Danny. Liberal Karens. Mm-hmm. No. No, they don't. Because I'm one of those liberals. I'm one of those pinko liberals that you talk about. And I want more taunting. Sounds like I think you this took a red some- pill. I think that this is something that can bring America together. Like, we want taunting. In these divided times, we can all stand unified. The only argument that's ever made sense to me is parents who say, I don't want my kids doing that. That when when a pro does it, and I don't buy it for a lot of reasons. Like, we don't want kids drinking alcohol either, but we don't ban TV advertisements for it. We don't, we don't, we're going to ban the internet. Right. Like those sort of things. So there's a lot of things that you can just say, okay, that's for them, but it's not for you. They're kids. That's what they should be told is that you can't do that yet. TikTok is worse than taunting. Have you been on TikTok? (laughs) These reels and stuff, all the garbage that's on that. Are you kidding me? If my kid wants to flex a little bit and not be on his phone glued to this TikTok doing all these dumb dances and stuff, I'd take that all day. (laughs) Are your kids on TikTok? No, they're not on TikTok. Heck no. Good. Sure about that? You know, I was I'm not sure I, about that sneaky little dude. Right? <laughs> I was asked by my sister about fanny packs, and I, I quoted, I was like, in the words of Michael Bumpus, that stuff's lame. The, the return of fanny packs is for dorks. They're trying to bring back the 90s. They're trying to bring back the 80s. Isn't this about hurt feelings and how we're more sensitive to other people's feelings, which in a way can be good empathy. But at the same time, empathy does not belong in sports. Nope. This is a bloodthirsty, cutthroat, competitive game. And if somebody feels the need to add an extra little bit of flair to something that they do over the course of a game, as long as they back it up the rest of the game, that's their right. They should be able to do it. And if somebody ends up showing them up, like Antoine Winfield showing up Tyreek Hill a couple of weeks later, that, that should be justice, illegal too. Right? That was yeah. justice. Yes. Like everybody who looked at that and said, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did uh, that. I was like, that Tony was Romo awesome. did. Tony Romo acted like the president just got shot, which oh, was really? I, I yeah, remember that in the Super Bowl? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you just can't do that. It's Tyreek Hill, bro, sure too, of can. all people. It's Tyreek Hill. Like, we really care about what this person is going through when oh wow, God. Oh, God forbid that Tyreek Hill have his feelings hurt. One of the all time great guys in the NFL. Tyreek Hill didn't complain about it though. No, he, he didn't. No. That's the even He's, better part. Right, like that's yeah. if if you if you give it, you got to be able to take it. Those are the rules. He it's went gamesmanship. Up. Every it's gamesmanship. That's part of the game. That's how you try to get into someone's head. You try to get them to react. You get them out out, out their flow. It's it's just people are too sensitive right now, man. Hill even fun. went up to the referee afterwards and was like, eh, you know, it, it looked like he was saying, yeah, this is this isn't something that's necessary. Nah. Question number three. Let's move back to Seahawks training camp. Bump, at what point are you going to be nervous? We heard Pete answer this question very curtly on Sunday after the mock game. At what point would you be nervous about Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown, their respective hold-ins, and the lack of progress, at least we are seeing publicly, about a month away from the start of the regular season towards those two having contract extensions? I'm good until game week. Once they start prepping for the Colts and you don't have your guys in there, then I think it's a problem. Because you can go through training camp. This is all a song and dance. You're seeing who's in shape, who knows the playbook. But once you start game planning for a team 
and you're not allowed to attack or protect the way that you want to because you don't have your dogs in there, then I start to get a bit concerned. So right now I'm not worried about it. Jamal seems like he's engaged. I watched Dwayne Brown coach guys on the sideline. It's not like they're sitting there pouting and and giving bad energy to the sidelines. No, they're still in it. And because they're still in it, they're still engaged, it makes me hopeful. So I'm not tripping until game week. If once you know we start preparing for the Colts or Jacob Eason or whoever's at the quarterback spot and we don't have our guys out there, then I get concerned. What's that like for players as they watch teammates or that uncertainty? Is it something that you just consider that's their deal and what they're and I, and I don't mess with it? Do you find yourself thinking about what might happen with them? How do you deal with that as a teammate? You think about it. <clears throat> you think about what this offensive would look like with Dwayne Brown. You think about what this defense would look like with Jamal Adams, but you can't control that. Now, you're going to think about it, but you're not going to spend much time on it. You still have a job to do. You know how much better this team would be with those guys. But if now if you're backing these dudes up, you're man, you're like, all right, I got opportunity here. When Jamal comes back, he's going to get a spot. Obviously, when Dwayne comes back, he's going to get a spot. But you have an opportunity to make an impression on the staff and say, look, just in case these dudes can't make it or they're not going to be out here, I got you, but the show must go on. Time stops for nobody. The game stops for nobody. You just got to keep it pushing. One of the guys that has actually been making some headway, and I don't know if this actually means anything because it's practice, but Ashari Crosswell, who's a rookie safety out of Arizona State, has probably been the, who the heck is that guy, star of camp to this point. And I think he had a pick six yesterday. He's been making plays all over the place. That's somebody that gets an opportunity that we get to see in the preseason with this availability, just like with Ryan Neal. Or Ryan Neal had a couple of weeks where we were like, oh, wow, look at that guy last year when he first subbed in for an injured Jamal Adams. And these guys are getting reps. And even if they don't make the team, they're still advertising themselves to the rest of the league now. Those reps are going to show up during preseason. You put it on film. Other teams talk to coaches. They ask about a guy. It's good for those guys. Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown will be fine. But week one comes around. They're not out there. Then we panic. That is Blue 42. Our training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We thought we would go through some observations, predictions that we've heard over the past, I don't know, week or so at training camp. We're now two weeks deep into it and decide whether or not we're buying it. An eye of skepticism, because this time of year you get a lot of flowery speeches, a lot of rosy prognostications, predictions. There's going to be more screens this year. That's a standard staple. This guy's in the best shape he's ever been. (laughs) We're going to start out with the tempo. Tempo is something we've heard an awful lot about when it comes to Shane Waldron's offense, what the Seahawks are going to do in that. This is a quote from Jordan Brooks, Seahawks' second-year linebacker, who talked about specifically... The, the tempo being the biggest difference in going up against Seattle's offense this year compared to last. It's a lot. It's a lot quicker. We, you know, they they go fast at random times at practice, so we got to be, you know, keep our head on the swivel, and um and, and ready to defend at at all times. So, if you want to know a difference, the biggest difference has been the speed, the tempo. Are we buying it? Is this going to be a faster offense in 2021? I'm buying it, and I think it is. When went to the mock game on Sunday, 
the second team actually played with more tempo than the first team. When yes. Gino was out there, they were going, man. And I think Shane kind of used the second team as the guinea pig. Like, okay, I'm going to really push the tempo with these guys just, just to see what it feels like and see what they can handle. No, I, I think it's legit, and I think it's a good thing. And you hear him say, he said, at times. Right, not every single play. So they're gonna speed it up. They're gonna slow it down. It's like running the fast break, like the leg show back in the day, and then playing half court offense like the San Antonio Spurs. Right, if you can mix it up, man, you keep teams guessing. I like it. The place where they are putting the pedal to the metal is when you see them get a first down, and I think that's a really interesting time to do it because it's not like after a first down or something like that where all of a sudden maybe you put yourself in a second down situation, you run a quick play, and you didn't run a lot of time off the clock, and all of a sudden maybe the risk of a three and out is right around the corner. That's at least where I have seen it and saw it in the mock game. When they got a first down, they would run up to the line of scrimmage. And I felt like that's a great place to be because I think a defense is sort of collecting itself, trying to figure out what the heck's going on after a first down just took place. You have to go back a little bit further. You have to reassess what you're doing defensively, what just happened on that play to get the first down. I, I like what I am seeing thus far from when they're using it, and I wonder where else they will end up deciding to use it. With the tempo, who does that put the most strain on the offense? Is it the big guys that have to get lined up quicker? Is it the receivers who I would assume have to do most of the running? The quarterback, it seems like that challenge for him is mostly mental, right? Being able to get set and get everybody in position for the next play. Who's that most physically demanding on? Physically demanding is the receivers, right? Because we're further outside. We're running down the field. we got to hurry up and hustle back yeah. and get the play call in. Physically, but mentally, it's all on the quarterback because he's got to make sure that everyone's lined up, make sure that he's communicated the play to everybody. He's got to read the box. He's got to look at the coverage. But, yeah, receivers, man, we run for fun sometimes. We'll run 60 routes and catch the ball three or four times. I'm not complaining, guys. I know you're going to get on the receivers, but that's reality. We do a lot of running. All right. Next topic is Seattle's number three receiver. When training camp was getting set to open, I think all of us would have said, we hope it's D. Eskridge. Eskridge is running, but he's not practicing. They've made an adjustment in his shoe. They feel that that's going to be successful. He's continued to run. The, the, Pete Carroll sounds hopeful that he's going to be practicing, but he hasn't been activated. He's still on the physically unable to perform list. So we're going to put him on the shelf. Are we buying the idea of Freddie Swain as the number three receiver? Here was Pete Carroll asked about that receiver spot specifically and Freddie in general. Freddie's got really good catching ability, really secure, uh, good decision maker uh, with the ball. Um, he, he's shown, you know, he's shown enough explosion that we that we are we're still looking forward to him, you know, competing for the spots. Um, had a good college career doing it, so we've seen a little bit more there. But um, he, he's going to be right there. He's going to be hard to beat out because we really trust him. You know, we really believe in the kid and, and how tough he is and all that. But um, competition is open. Freddie Swain going to be your number three receiver when the season opens, Bump? Yep. He's the guy. You see him working with the ones. You see him in multiple positions. Now they're working him in in special teams as well as a returner. They're preparing him. They're like, look, okay, if you're going to be the number three, you got to be able to do something else. And that's return kicks. And honestly, he deserves it. No knock on Dwayne Eskridge, but we don't know what he can do yet. We don't know if he has a grasp on the playbook. We don't know if he's adjusted to the speed yet. I think he's going to get opportunities. He's going to be out there. We're going to see him. But right now, you got to go with number 18. He's done nothing but take advantage of every opportunity that he's gotten. He looks confident. He looks fast. You look at the communication he's having with the guys. You can see when the starters get together, you know, there's like three or four of them huddled in the corner and they're talking about things like he's accepted into the club. Like these guys are like, all right, we're going to roll with, with Freddie. I like what I see out of him. I think he's the guy. The situation is kind of 
settled itself too because Eskridge isn't out there because of the injury. And now Penny Hart, who suffered the injury in the mock game where he has a deep pass down the field and he, and he does something with his ankle. So all of a sudden, by default, Freddie Swain is going to get more reps. It already feels like if there is a click of wide receivers just based off of observations out there, that that click is in some way, shape, or form DK and Freddie Swain always around each other and Tyler Lockett sort of doing his own thing. So there's that too. It feels like a lot of veteran players are also being a little bit deferential to Freddie Swain, which is interesting for a second wide receiver. So these are just all the things I'm seeing. And then after that, I mean, who else Who else is really bumped competing at wide receiver? I, I feel like John Ursu has been out there, but Ursu has had a couple of missed opportunities that have been taking place over the courses of practice. And after that, I don't really know who I can seriously put into the conversation as even a guy that you're thinking about as a top five, six wide receiver on this roster. Yeah, you said it. I mean, it would have been Penny Hart. He's a little banged up. But he, he's still making plays. It would, it would have been John Ursua, but he's not making enough plays right now. It's um, That room was thick until about a week ago. Yeah. And then Freddie kind of said, no, nah, it ain't thick in here. I got this on me. I'm the number three. <laughs> All right. The next one, and are you buying it? This comes to the placement of snaps. And specifically, how often Russell Wilson is going to be under center. Maura Dooley, our producer extraordinaire, looked this up last night. Last year is about two-thirds of the time he took snaps from the shotgun. That was that. That happened about two thirds of the time. This year, we're not we're not sure exactly how it's going to uh, play itself out. But Ray Roberts, who was with us yesterday, he made the point that you're seeing more from under center, and that could be a benefit for the run game. Here's Ray. I don't know if there's a, a big difference in what you're asking the line to do, but what by this offense by design is giving the offensive line more tools to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I like about the office, uh, not necessarily the offensive line with this comment, but I like that they're running the ball from under the center. Like it, it's really, you know, Chris Carson can get really downhill a lot faster, a lot harder, you know, coming from, uh, you know, coming downhill to get the ball versus standing beside Russell and handing it to him. They going to be under center more this year. Do you think bump? Yeah, I think they are. Um, and, Ray made some great points. It's all about getting downhill right now. When you're in shotgun, you don't get that that one or two step running start. And we all know Chris Carson is going to run through dudes, especially when he gets downhill. And it's going to help in the play action um, game as well because once that quarterback turns around and, and shows the defense his back and does the the, the stretch out, you know, reach his arm out like he's going to play action that thing, it just has more of an influence on that defense rather than being in shotgun and kind of riding the, the running back as he crosses your body. So, yeah, I, I think they are going to be downhill, um, excuse me, under center more because it gets them downhill and it helps them in play action, and we all know that those are things they want to do, run the ball, play action, boot out that thing. This is a random annoyance I've always had, but running out of the shotgun always seems like it just makes things a lot more difficult than they need to be. Obviously, there are certain situations where running out of the shotgun can help you out. I would say in specifically draw plays and stuff like that, Bump. But I've always found that, yeah, you're basically asking a running back to take a handoff from a quarterback at a standstill and then take off from there. And if things don't open up, I mean, that guy's going to not be in a very good shape, a uh, very good spot to even get necessarily one yard. It could obviously work out a little bit differently, but yeah, I'm, I I like that they are going back towards old school football on this side of things. If they want to be a heavy RPL team, then you have to run it out to shotgun because you got to have your quarterback get your eyes on that second level. But there's a time and a place, and the more they can do, the better. So I just love the different looks that we're seeing. The more looks you put out there, the more the defense has to prepare for. It is Danny and Gallant. We go back to training camp. We're going to talk to Rasheem Green, Seahawks defensive end. That's coming up next here on Danny and Gallant.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Got a little bit of a news update. Alden Smith has been released. That is according to Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network. Range of surprises. He'd been getting a lot of playing time in training camp and was someone that Seattle clearly had some expectations and hope for. At the same time, it's someone who has been in and out of the NFL for the past few years and had an outstanding case in which he had been, I believe, arrested and charged with, with assault back in Louisiana. We don't have any reasons for the release, but just know that he's being released. We're waiting on Rasheem Green as well, uh, Seahawks defensive end who we'll talk to. But the, the release of Alden Smith, that does come as a bit of a surprise. That was someone that they were hoping was going to add some defensive line depth. And he looked good during the mock game. I was sitting next to Ray Roberts, and he was talking about how he doesn't see um, it's a slow first step. He's firing off the ball. He has good bend. He looks flexible. He looks strong. I mean, Ray was loving him up, so I started watching him. I'm like, all right, he looks good. So, um, you know, don't want to speculate too much, but you never know. Could have something to do with his case. or And they're so deep at that position. Man, they got some some young talent there as well. So I'm sure there are a lot of things that factored into this, but I am surprised because I thought he looked good on Sunday. We saw a lot of him. I mean, he was on the field a lot and at times playing with the guys that you would expect. And the Seahawks mix and match their defense when it comes to who might be the first teamers and who might not be. But you saw him out there with the guys that you were probably expecting to see when the season starts be on the field. You know, for this defense. So, yeah, I wonder how they adjust to this, but this is definitely a surprise just given how much we've seen of him thus far. It's hard for me to characterize it as a setback, though, in this sense. It's a bummer that he's not going to be there, but you were not counting on him as a brick-and-mortar kind of player, right? Like, given his... His history in the league and the fact that he spent several years out of the league, even this offseason... Separate from from his arrest and the allegation of, of assault in Louisiana, there's some question about whether or not he was in shape and wasn't there for the mini camps. Like this doesn't. It would have been nice to have him. I called him a gravy guy. Like he was he was on that list. He and Robert Kimdiche were the kind of guys of like you give him a chance and you hope it works out, but you don't you don't count on them. They're they're something that could add to the meal, but you're not relying on them to be sort of, hey, we need this guy to have five or six sacks. We need this guy to play 20% of our defensive snaps this year. That wasn't the case for Alden. No, his role was going to be a rotation guy, right? That's what he's going to be. I viewed him kind of like Josh Gordon when he was here, where he's like, all right, if you can make a couple plays, then you're good to go, but not somebody that you're really going to count on. One, because he's older, and two, because they're so deep in that position. You got some young guys who show they can play. Alden Robinson showed he can play. Mayoa, he's not a young guy, but he can play. You're trying to see what Daryl Taylor looks like. There's still other question marks with younger guys. Question marks with older guys um, are a bit more difficult because, you know, they probably already reached their prime. He's past his prime at this point. So he would have helped for sure, but he w- he's not a deal breaker. They're not like, oh, my God, they're not going to win the division because Smith isn't here. I was expecting zero out of him this year, to be perfectly honest. Now, I – not going to lie, I was surprised by what we have seen of him to this point in training camp. He slimmed down, but I thought to myself when they brought him in, why did Dallas so willingly move on from him last year? Dallas has a terrible defense, and they brought him in. Of course, he had three sacks against the Seahawks in the Seahawks-Cowboys game early on last year, and yet Dallas felt very comfortable telling Alden Smith at the start of free agency, yeah, we're not going to bring you back. 
I don't know if there was something else perhaps happening behind the scenes, but also we heard a couple of weeks ago at minicamp, Pete Carroll say that Alden Smith wasn't in the best of shape. And then not too long afterwards, Alden Smith even said, yeah, you know, last year I was fat. I wanted to be in better shape. So I wonder if his conditioning might have had a, 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 a part in this, but it's, it's a surprise. It's certainly a surprise based off of what we have seen thus far, even though I was expecting going into this year until the last couple of weeks, absolutely nothing out of him. Where does this leave Seattle's defensive line? It doesn't affect your starting group, right? You still got Carlos Dunlap and LJ Collier, your two starters at, at defensive end. Puna Ford, Brian Monet are probably the two starters right now at defensive tackle. Rasheem Green, Benson Mayoa, <coughs> Daryl Taylor's playing more strong side linebacker. You still have pass rush options. Alton Robinson is another guy. Is, is this a blow for their depth? Losing Alden Smith, or is this just creating opportunity for some of the other guys that we've already seen uh, be able to step up and perform in those situations? No, I think it creates opportunity. I mean, you look at the end spot, you're about three deep at each spot right now, two mm-hmm. to three deep. And I, and I think that's good enough, honestly. Um, it, it doesn't, I feel bad because I'm not, I mean, this guy's losing an opportunity in Alden Smith, but it's like, hey, you've had a bunch of them already. Said too many. Let, let let one of these young guys get a crack at it now. I mean, I'm sure he's got money. He's good to go. But uh, it do, it doesn't hurt what they're doing at all. I don't feel that he's gotten too many. I, I I'll always I always take a shot on someone like that. I I don't think you're losing anything by giving him an opportunity to compete for a position in training camp. At this point in the year, no, you're not losing out. I'm just saying he has had so many chances and he has blown so many of those chances. So I mean, yeah. why are you continuing to give him chances? You know, that's that's. That's what are you expecting? I suppose there is nothing to lose on that front. Right. But at a certain point, do you even want to bother? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do, especially when it's issues of substance abuse, because guys can turn that page. And giving them the opportunity to do that, I don't think you lose out by anything. I don't think that this was a waste of time. I don't think it's it's a bummer that it's not going to happen. It doesn't doesn't mean that you count on it or expect it, but... I, I, I always want to give room for someone to sort of reclaim. If if you think that person has the talent to make your team, same with Kim Diche. Okay, do I think it's likely that he's going to become a starter or fulfill that? I wouldn't say it's likely, but I'm all for giving guys that chance. I have no problem with the number of opportunities they gave Josh Gordon. And if Josh Gordon gets eligible, I have no problem with giving him a shot to do it again too. I'm not going to count on it. But I, but I, I like the idea of giving guys a, an opportunity. Diz, Danny, and Gallant, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We do have Rasheem Green, who's with us. Rasheem, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, hi, I am glad to be on the show, guys. <laughs> How's training camp going? Uh, it is going pretty good. It's you know uh, going pretty well for my fourth uh, camp here. You feel like an old veteran at this point? Like you know know all the ins and outs, all this, but you got fans back. It was a little quiet last year with nobody around. Um, I don't quite feel like an old vet because I'm still 24 and like the guys still try to like not like treat me like a young guy, but I'm not a vet yet, um, if that makes sense. But um, I, I like feel like I got like a pretty good grasp of like the whole scheme and like the plays and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> don't. Not, 
Don't let ever anyone ever tell you you're old. Yes, you are 24 years old at this point. Even if there are a bunch of other guys who are younger than you, you know yeah. what? You, you're still 24. Make sure that you still feel that way. I'm 32. I'm jealous of you on that front, Rasheen. But there's a ton <laughs> of guys that are competing with you right now. What's yep. that competition been bringing out of all of you? I imagine whether it's the weight room or on the field, there maybe are some little <laughs> in-between, you know, trash talks, in-between raps, and all sorts of things that are going on between all of you guys out there. Um, I would say there's not really been much trash talk, but um, I, I like feel like this uh, c- competition has been bringing out the or or, or like um, what's the way to say it? like the competition has been or not like forcing us to bring our best every day, but like for me, I, I feel like it's not like or um, let, uh, let me rephrase that um i feel like it's forced me like to put my best foot forward each day where it's like watching film in the meeting room on the field i feel like it's been fun too at the same time because we're still friends at the um you know yeah at the end of the day rasheem i heard that i saw a video and okay. a, a teammate said that you were not too good at Madden. I don't believe it, man. Are you good at Madden? And who do you play with when you do play with Madden? Um, I play more Call of Duty, but in Madden, I, I like not the the best at Madden, but I, I am pretty good. You know, I stopped playing it like uh, last year for you know some reasons. I just didn't really like like the way they like change like the freaking uh control like for me like the times when i play madden um i, I like to control like the middle linebacker and, and like the way they changed the controls for it was just kind of goofy to me but like the times when i do play madden i, I like well like since i've been here in seattle I, I i like pick the seahawks there you go but uh in call of duty we're talking to rasheem green here are, are you more of a sniper type are you someone that likes to mix it up, a little run and gun? What's your style Camper. of Call of Duty pl- playing? I don't camp. I hate campers. I am more of like a player that likes to rush and like, as as you said, I, I like to run and gun. You know, that, that's more my style. I pick a assault rifle or a submachine gun, and I just go for for speed. What's a camper? A camper is uh, a camper is someone who. Probably like has their gun not freaking mounted, or they're just like watching one like wall, and they have like their back against the wall, and they just have like a whole bunch of claymores and yeah, nothing whatnot set up. So like, I, I don't know. It's like just a very boring play style to me. It's just not really fun. Just they're, they're hiding sitting around and corners watching. like cowards. They're cowards. Yeah, yeah, Gee, yeah, come yeah, on. yeah, that's just not my style. You know, I like to run a gun because it's more fun and like that takes more skill than camping. Like camping's. I don't, I don't know, because like the times when I do use a sniper, I, I like to, don't even camp when I use a sniper. There we go. Well, that's interesting. If you're running around with a sniper rifle, I mean, you're basically John Rambo out there. Which right. Is, uh, which which <laughs> I, I, I like hearing that. Have you been able to bring any of that Call of Duty energy over to the field? Is there something that maybe you have been working on specifically this offseason that you really feel like you're making some strides with as far as your pass rushing or anything else that's involved with this defense that you say you now have a really good grasp of? Um, can you rephrase that question? Like, my, oh, wait. 
I was a bit confused by that. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of, I, I, I was saying if like, there's anything from Call of Duty that maybe you could apply to your pass uh-huh. rushing skills, <laughs> running and gunning or something. They like don't that. let yeah. you bring a sniper rifle onto the field, Paul. That's a good point. Right? Like, this yeah. is not the last Boy Scout. You also <laughs> cannot, there's no camping. A camper, as I understand it, would not last long in an NFL situation because I you know. have to move. Like, there's some mobility that's required. You get blown up by somebody. Um. Okay, so... For your question, I, I would say there's one thing I have been trying to bring. I guess you could say from my Call of Duty stuff is just being, um, just like or like, um, man, just being more confident. Cause like, like the, like the times when I'm playing Call of Duty, I I just feel like I'm like the best dude ever, right? Got <laughs> <laughs> to feel and, that and, and like out there on the field, um, I, I feel like I've been doing like a, um. Like for for like the past like two three years, I feel like I, I just um, didn't really have that confidence like I've been having now. So, which helps me take more shots and make more plays. What do you think's brought increased that confidence for you? What's made you feel more confident? Is it just experience and being here? Um, yeah, just like time and just not really, or 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 just not trying to do too much because i feel like at times in the past like in, in like the past two three years i've been here uh i've been um in my own head in a way and i feel like i've been doing like a lot better job of not doing that which allows me to have more confidence when i'm out there he is Rasheem green he is someone that you need to be leery of uh, when it comes to his run-and-gun style in Call of Duty. He does not <laughs> like campers. He feels more confidence this year. Rasheem, we're really grateful for Thanks, you taking Rasheem. the time to talk uh, with us. I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. Thank you. Right, that is Rasheem Green. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We'll summarize that and also take a look at when we're worried about contract negotiations and how so. That's coming up next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It was great to talk with Rasheem Green. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. Michael Bumpus hanging out with us on Danny and Gallant. And as we continue to go through training camp, the Seahawks kick off their preseason Saturday night in Vegas against the Raiders in that beautiful beautiful stadium but we're still trying to figure some things out we did find out today that the Seahawks won't be working with Alden Smith anymore they released him we have not figured out why but there are other positional battles that are taking place not just on the defensive line one of the things we're trying to figure out is who's going to be this team's primary nickelback is it going to be Marquise Blair or is it going to be Ugo Amadi here's Pete Carroll weighing in on that battle. Ugo is really is really on his game. And we I matter of fact I talked to him about that today. You know how much more he knows now and how much more aware he is and his ability to disguise and, and utilize the calls and stuff. He's just way ahead of where he's been and he looked really good and, and it's it's a it's a real good battle between those two guys. And so uh, um, you know Marquise we've always been excited about what he can do and how he can play and whether it's a safety or a nickel. Um, so but Ugo's not he's not just giving it up. He's he's competing like crazy and makes it a really good spot for us. How do you guys read this cool positional battle you know I watched Ugo on Sunday and he did disguise things pretty well um you know he would have the flat he make look like man and vice versa and when I hear Pete Carroll talk about it, I think he's genuinely like I just don't know yet these guys are both 
conversation pieces when these coaches get together. And it's a it's a day-by-day type thing. That's the type of situation to where if one guy makes a mistake, the other guy has an upper hand for a couple plays, and then they just go back and forth. I don't think this thing is going to be decided until week one. And that's a good thing, right? You got two young guys who are making this decision tough on the coaching staff, then that's what you want. I think eventually Marquise Blair is going to get it because I feel like he just brings more to the table. He's bigger. He's longer. Uh, he can play multiple positions. But I know that Ugo's going to be on the field, and he's going to make plays on special teams. Last year, he was like the first guy down on, on kick return and, and punt cover um, every time they kicked the rock. So um, it's a good battle, man. But I think Pete Carroll doesn't know right now, which is a good thing. But I think Marquise Blair is going to take the spot. It's If Blair gets it, it's kind of a testament to – how much he's been able he was a safety and that slot corner is someone that needs to be pretty shifty especially in this division with how Shanahan and and McVay's offenses work and look we'll throw throwing Arizona in there as well like you, you're going to need to be able to cover some dudes and be able to keep up with them I think that's a good sign especially since Marquise Blair is coming off of, of knee surgery. Chances are you're going to need both of these guys over the course of the year, though. Chances are you're going to need both of them to play significant roles. Whoever wins the nickelback job and then the other guy who's going to be someone that probably factors into playing time somewhere along the road because guys are going to get hurt. Two totally different players with different skill sets. I think that the Seahawks optimally would want Marquise Blair to win this job because of some of the things bump that you you had laid out and and obviously what we have seen out of out of Blair in in games Danny I know you've loved what you've seen from him when he comes into games I mean he lays people out but when we're talking about quickness and speed Ugo Amadi moves around that field like a lightning bolt and he always has and there were a couple of plays yesterday at training camp where you mentioned some of those things that he's good at disguising man he's really good good at blitzing and when they bring him off the edge, he he slides down in and he gets through that line of scrimmage really quickly. He had a nice little deflection on one of those blitzes yesterday. And then when we take a look at Marquise Blair, I, I don't want to make this the end-all be-all, but there was a play where Russell Wilson clearly knew he was going to throw to D.K. Metcalf before the play. It was basically one-on-one in the red zone between Marquise Blair and D.K. Metcalf, and Metcalf basically mossed Marquise on that play. Again, not the end-all be-all. D.K. is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. But I, I think as far as things go right now, I think Ugo Amadi has the heads up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, this is tough, man. And again, we can go back and forth with this, which is good. Which is good. Um, you mentioned how they use Ugo Mani in the blitz in the blitz package. I think his body is built for that. He's small. He's thick. Yeah, you know, he's like five nine, five ten. He gets downhill. There's different styles, man. And that's a we talked earlier about the Jimmy Garoppolo Trey Lance situation to where okay, maybe use a quarterback in different situations, which I don't agree with. But in this situation, that's perfect. You know, what What type of packages are you going to have for Ugo Amadi? What type of package are you going to have for Marquise Blair? They're both going to see the field for sure. But I think with just the way the league is going and guys like to throw the ball all across the field, I think Blair has the advantage when it comes to just your your base nickel package. Like, look, these are the guys who are going to go out there when we know it's third and long and teams are going to throw the football. Whoever loses that battle isn't going to lose a job. Nope. This is this is about who's just going to get on the field. And and I like that there is a little bit of versatility between the two at the position. Very curious to see how it plays out. It is Danny and Gallant, Michael Bumpus. He always joins us in the 8 o'clock hour on Wednesdays, on Fridays. Bump, thanks so much for stopping by, man, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys. Have a good one. Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming back next. Well, 
We could dive back into the Mariners, but I feel like we probably should keep them in timeout. Also, what's going on in the, with Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown, their contract conversations? It does feel like we're getting some more news about Jamal Adams as far as what's going on in the impasse between the Seahawks and him. All of that next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.